Greetings in the Master's name. Just a comment on the Sunday School lessons. I was thinking about this lesson uh, where it says how we're to mortify and we're to put off and we're to set and we're to put on and all these things that we're supposed to be doing. And I have a friend who uh, feels like we conservative Mennonites um, try to do too much in our own strength. We have all these rules and and uh, focus on all these things we're supposed to be doing. And uh, he thinks we're missing the indwelling Christ or we don't have enough emphasis on it. And... Uh, like uh, Brother Joe pointed out to me just as Sunday school was over, you know, verse 12 says, put on, therefore, as the elect of God. And verse 1 of Colossians says, if ye be risen with Christ. So the indwelling Christ is first. That has to be there. Uh, and to try to do stuff in our own strength, never gonna, never gonna succeed. But we have to be sold out to Jesus Christ, or we're gonna always be struggling. Gotta put him first. You can open your Bibles to Genesis 18. A little bit later, um, I come to a passage that I was actually looking for. It's Father's Day, and I was thinking about a Father's Day sermon. I thought I'd preach something once upon a time. And I was looking for it, and evidently I didn't, according to, I didn't find anything in my notes anyway. But in, in looking and searching for the, some key words that I thought would bring it up, I, uh, the, this, the, the message that came up was transmitting the faith to future generations. And I thought there's so much there that applies to Father's Day, so I just went on and followed these notes Sort of. I mean, I did a fair amount of changing. But anyway, um, Genesis 18. And this is, uh, this is familiar to us. Uh, verse 19. Talking about Abraham. And actually, it's just before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and you know, the... Uh, well, the the um, we think it's probably of those men that came to see Abraham. We think one of them was the uh, pre-incarnate Christ, perhaps. But anyway, uh, the uh, it says the Lord said, "Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do?" And then it says in verse nineteen, "For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him." And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Now, a little bit more about that in, in a minute. But if you turn back to chapter 15 or 12, actually, it is, I think I want uh, in verse uh, chapter 12, the first three verses. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, 
and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curse thee, and these shall all families of the earth be blessed. So, we know that happened. God chose the descendants of Abraham, the nation of Israel. But first of all, in the first verse, it says God told Abraham to get out of the country, away from your kindred, from your father's house, and I'll show you where to go. And that was no small thing. Abraham was from, from uh, Ur. Uh, at that time, that was one of the most advanced civilizations. So he was living in this setting, in this city, probably. All the benefits, all the economic benefits, all the cultural benefits, um, it goes along with living in a big city. Uh, just, yeah, that's just what his life was like. And God said, get out. And this is not quite a fair comparison, but I thought it's kind of like Lord telling somebody to leave Shenandoah Valley and move to West Virginia. And hardly anybody can, seems like. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, it, but you see, didn't he have to do that so that the Lord could bless him the way he wanted to? So what I'm saying is you go, you go over here then to this verse in chapter 18, and he says, I know him. He'll command his children, and they'll do this, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Now, God is sovereign. And in fact, uh, I was thinking about this whole thing running around in my mind. And uh, let me see if I can find the verses. Yeah, over in Deuteronomy 7, I think it is, uh, something that was kind of related as I was thinking about all this. Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 and 8. Uh, and Moses is reviewing things here in the book of Deuteronomy. It's kind of a review to the children of Israel. It says, The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So it says God chose them, not because they were the most powerful people around or anything. Um, it says they were the fewest, but the Lord loved them. It, 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 God is sovereign. He can do what he wants to. And yet it says there that I know Abraham, and, okay, I know him, and he's going to command his children after him and his household, and they're going to keep the way of the Lord, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. So it, it's, it's an interesting combination that God says, 
I'm going to perform, I'm going to do through Abraham because of the choices he's made. Because what? The direction he's taken. And I think, I think that's, true of, that's true of us today. Many, many promises of God for us, but how they play out in our life is going to depend on our choices. Um, but anyway, the title of the message is Transmitting the Faith to Future Generations. And so you see that here in this verse. And so uh, um, we're going to look at some more verses along that line. But, I, you know, I was thinking about um, this whole thing of sovereignty of God and who man is. And uh, I was thinking about Job. And see, what, what's it, it says about Job, I know kind of what it says, but let me see if I can get it exactly. Um, it says about Job... That man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And then in verse 8, it said, God says to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And so God allowed Satan to test Job. We know how those tests were. Now, could any man have handled those tests? I kind of have my doubts. But Job, God allowed Job to be tested that way. Job was perfect and upright. There was not a man like him on the earth, it says. And so he could handle that temptation with God's help, of course. Although he didn't, he felt like God had forsaken him. And I thought about the verse in Corinthians that says, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape. You may be able to bear it. So God doesn't allow anything in our lives. But anyway, thinking about the sovereignty of God on our part and, and all this, um, let's turn to a familiar passage here in Deuteronomy verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, rather. And most of these passages are going to be familiar. But they're very, very key when it comes to transmitting the faith to future generations. Uh, Deuteronomy 4, verse 4. Ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive and every one of you this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God, Moses speaking here, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land where ye go to possess it. Keep, therefore, and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great 
who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for. And what nation is there so great that has statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? There's a couple key words here. Verse 4, it says, Cleave, ye that did cleave unto the Lord. And then it says, verse 5, about how they were taught things that the Lord commanded. And then in verse 6, it says, keep those things. So cleave to the Lord and keep the teaching. And then that's their wisdom and their understanding. And that's that, that is still true of us. Uh, this is our wisdom and understanding. This is how we understand life. We, we understand why things work the way they do. I'm, I'm talking about in, in, a, in a spiritual moral realm, uh, what, what, what brings success and what brings failure and so on. Why is the world the way it is? Well, we, we learn that from this book, Wisdom and Understanding. Um, what makes people tick? What makes people act the way they do? Now, it might not describe every scenario in a specific way, but we do understand the cosmic conflict between good and evil, and when people choose evil and the results. I mean, okay, so, so we were foster parents for 22 years for a fetal alcohol syndrome child, so why, why was he the way he was? Well, his mother drank. Why did his mother drink? Well, because probably because of the way her husband treated her. But that's, that's, that's evil, see? Well, anyway, okay, so now as far as wisdom and understanding now, when people appreciate truth, they can admire those who are operating their lives by, by the wisdom and understanding that God gives. Now, when people, and it goes more and more this way, the more that people reject what is right, the more that people are sold out to evil, the more they look at people who are functioning by the wisdom and understanding that God gives, the more they look at them as actually the problem. We're going to see more and more of that as our society goes downhill farther and farther. They will blame the people who are trying to operate by the principles of this book. They'll blame them for the problems because they're operating out of a mindset that has rejected God's truth. But going on now, let's look at verse 9. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. Transmitting the faith to future generations we're talking about. The first thing to do, the first requirement Absolute necessity in that is to take heed to yourself. 
and keep thy soul diligently, it says. Take heed to yourself and keep thy soul diligent. It was interesting to me in verse 6, it talks about keeping the commandments. And here in verse 9, it's talking about keeping your soul. And I wonder, if is, is, it, is it two different words there used for keep, like in the original? Because it seemed like two different things, you know, keeping the commandments and keeping your soul. Well, the word keep, it's the same word. And it means to guard and protect. So guard and protect the teaching, but guard and protect your soul. And then when you do that, you'll be in a position to teach your sons and your grandchildren, your son's sons. Especially the day that thou stoodst before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children. So verse 9, though, is a key verse. Take heed to thyself, keep thy soul, and then teach thy sons and thy sons' sons. Uh, the next chapter, verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 29 says, Oh, that there were such a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and for their children forever. And I remember a long time ago, you know, reading through, reading through the Bible and hitting that verse that just, I mean, you know, I, uh, in my formal studies and so on, and here it says, oh, that there was such a heart in them. It doesn't say, oh, that there was such a head on them. It says that there was such a heart in them. I mean, a person can have all this, all this knowledge in their head, but if it doesn't get from here to here, it's just not going to accomplish very much. Then chapter 6, very, very familiar passage. But uh, here again, refreshing ourselves. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Uh, heart, heart. And thou shalt teach them diligent to thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou settest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. They shall be as frontless between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. But before you get to that, it says, you love the Lord with all your heart. And they need to be in your heart, and then you can teach them to your children. And then verse 10 and 11 and 12. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And I guess we could say, well, it wasn't quite our experience. I mean, we, we have what we worked for, um, houses full of good things which thou fillest not. We could say, well, we, we filled them. We dug the wells and so on. 
But in a sense, we've kind of come into all this, a uh, very, very prosperous nation, economy, and so on. And um, so in a sense, there's a lot of what we're able to accomplish is do a lot to the setting that we're in. And it's, but it says, beware then, when you have all this comfortable stuff, beware that you forget the Lord. And I think there's something similar here in chapter 8. In chapter 8, yeah, it's verses 11 to 14. But um, before that, it says, uh, The Lord bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills. And that's the land we live in. Actually, most of the springs have probably been paved over and so on. But um, this was a land of springs. And uh, it says, A land of wheat and barley. And vines, fig trees and pomegranates. I don't know if we have so many of those, but we've got apple trees and peach trees and plum trees and what else? But anyway, we've got a lot of fruit trees. A land of olive oil and honey. A land where thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything. A land whose stones are iron, out of whose hills are mills dig brass. Not sure there's so much iron and brass around here, but limestone grows good crops. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness and so on, who fed thee in the wilderness and... Uh, and so on, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he, it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. And it shall be, if thou do it all, forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them. I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. And I'm sure that we would say we don't walk after other gods and serve other gods like what the Israelites went into in all their apostasy. But what are the American gods? No, there's not bales and poles as to Astaroth and stuff like that. What are the American gods? Wealth. Yeah, wealth. Yeah, uh, um, not so much in our circles, I guess, but Hollywood, 
Pardon? Human rights. Yeah. Fame, position, power. Intellect. Well, so the gods aren't so far away from us, those gods. You know, um, Lot. When Abraham told him he could choose, it says he chose the plain of Jordan because it was well watered next to Sodom. And, you know, we understand why Sodom was destroyed because we have that word, Sodomites. But it's very interesting, and I'm sure you're familiar with that too. But what Ezekiel says, Ezekiel 16:49, it is, and that this was part of the picture too. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride. Fullness of bread and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness. Doesn't that describe the day we're in? And one more thing along that line is in Matthew 24 where Jesus says how it's going to be towards the end. And it's verses 37 to 39, Matthew 24, 37 to 39. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. They were occupied with the pleasures of life. And it took their minds away from spiritual things. Well, just a, um, passing on the faith, transmitting the faith to future generations. Exodus 12, about the Passover, it says... It, and it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service, the Passover service? That ye shall say, It is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the, and the people bowed the head and worshipped. I think the same thing is in chapter 13, 14, and 15. It shall be when thy son... Okay, this is a little different. It's like, it's like uh, committing... Uh, giving the first fruits or the firstborn of their flocks and so on to the Lord, it says, And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What is this that thou shalt say unto him? 
By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out from Egypt from the house of bondage, and it came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go. But the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man, firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all that opens the matrix, being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. Now, we don't, we don't do this, but we do other things. And so are we able, as fathers especially, as head of homes, when our children ask, what, what do we do this for? We say, oh, well, you know, we got a 500-year history, and it's just kind of the way we've learned to do things, you know. Or, um, well, church said we're supposed to do it this way. Or rules and discipline, that's what it says, you know. Boy, that's not going to cut it. You need to know why we do what we do. And you need to be able to tell your children why we do what we do. And you have to, okay, you have to separate between, you know, the absolute things and the things that we have chosen to do a certain way, but it's not the only way to do them. But we do them this way because there's reasons, there's principles behind, and we need to be able to explain that to our children. Tell, Joel says, tell ye your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children another generation. There's four generations in Joel 1, verse 3. Uh, turn to Isaiah 8, verse 18. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 18. No. Uh, this is Isaiah speaking here, I think. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. That's a tremendous vision for his children. Purpose. Now, turn over a little farther to Jeremiah 7, verse 18. Jeremiah 7, verse 18. Jeremiah 7, 18, the children gather wood and the fathers kindle the fire and the women knead their dough. Now that sounds like a family working together. And that's what we want, families working together. But notice what the rest of the verse says, to make cakes to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto other gods that they may provoke me to anger. So, family working together what are they working together for and this is just a little bit of a side note or an application but I, I have said before encouraging people to get out and help mark with the signs on Saturday and uh, now this I said something to mark about it yesterday and he said well there were some people that were helping get Jesse and Jennifer's house ready and there's there's a lot of worthwhile things that can be done. Uh, and we might be, in other words, Saturdays, we often use Saturdays to catch up on everything else we didn't get done during a week or try to catch up at least. Uh, and we may have been doing other things for the Lord all week and we needed a Saturday to catch up. <laughs> but... Uh, it's still kind of disappoints me we have trouble getting 40 people to go to D.C. out of all our whole conference. So 
What are we teaching our children? What are we working together as a family? What are our family projects as far as the kingdom of God? Do our families see us focused on the things of this earth and getting ahead on this earth? So it's a challenge. Well, in my notes here on this sermon um, from almost 20 years ago, uh, and of course I've changed it a lot, but uh, some things that I've jotted down here, transmitting the faith to future generations, it needs to be in the heart, not the head. For me to live as Christ, that's kind of what I've just been talking about here in these verses. Um, uh, a life of sacrifice for Jesus Christ, a life that's being consumed for God, family focused on knowing, loving, and serving God, um, and, uh, and remember the danger to, that in the uh, midst of our blessings that we forget the Lord. And there's a very interesting verse in Timothy. Now, it's speaking to pastors, but it could be applied, I think. No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life. He may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. And we had this verse, this verse in our lesson, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. So are we walking by faith or by sight? And uh, evidently, uh, I got this out of some reference book on Hebrews, but it says the believer walks by faith and not by sight. His conviction is that the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Here is a lesson that is needed for our materialistic age when the promise of God is looked upon as a vague, intangible, mystical thing, and the accumulation of vast possessions is counted as the true way to security. Okay, one more passage I want to look at yet in particular is um, Jeremiah 35. I'm thinking about passing on the faith of future generations. Now, this one is a challenge. And um, you're probably familiar with it, the Rechabites. But uh, for sake of time here, I might have to summarize a little bit. But uh, God told Jeremiah to, to get the Rechabites into the house of God, okay? He brought them right into the house of God. And he set wine before them and he said, you know, help yourself. And uh, they said, they refused. They said, in verse 6, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons forever. Neither shall ye build house, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor have any. But all your days ye shall dwell in tents, that ye may live many days in the land where ye be strangers. Thus have we obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he had charged us to drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, nor our daughters, nor to be at houses for us to dwell in, neither have we vineyards, nor field, nor seed. But we have dwelt in tents, and have obeyed, and have done according to all that John and Deb, our father, commanded us. But it came to pass, right now they were in Jerusalem, but it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land that we said, Come, and let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans. So I'm not sure, but I think maybe they were still living in tents in Jerusalem because of what John and Dad, their father said. Now what is, uh, Now something that's really interesting to me is, I've turned back yet to 2 Kings 10, 15 and 16, and this is about Jehu, 
and how he was uh, he killed both the king of Israel and the king of Judah. It's kind of a he was kind of a you might say cleaning up the mess, um, but um, so he he was on his way to destroy the house of Ahab. And uh, it says in verse 15, And when he was departed thence, he lighted on Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he saluted him and said to him, Is thine heart right as my heart is with thy heart? And Jehonadab said, It is. Okay, that's Jehonadab speaking. And then Jehu says, If it be, give me thine hand. And he gave him his hand and took him up to him into the chariot. And he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they made him ride in his chariot. And then we don't know, any, we don't know anything more about it until we get over here to Jeremiah. And it, it makes me wonder. So, so, so Jonadab or Jehonadab, same person. That that uh, so he was zealous too for the right things of God, and so he and Jehu's heart were the same in that respect. And so Jehu say, he, he said, "You're right in my presidential limousine, you know," and uh, and so he did. And that's all you hear about him. And I wonder. I don't know, but I wonder if he didn't see the danger of palace living. But anyway, he told his children, don't drink any wine, don't live in houses, don't plant any seed. This was radical stuff. I mean, God didn't tell them to do that. God didn't tell the Israelites to do that. But he told his children to live this way. And you come here to Jeremiah, and this is 250 years later. You talk about transmitting the faith to future generations. How many generations is that? 250-some years later. And they're saying, this is what our father told us. Well, been great, great, great something, father. And you know what God said? Somewhere down here. Behold, because the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them, but this people have not hearkened to me. Therefore, thus says the God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring upon Judah, and so on, but still not what I'm looking for. Um, okay. And Jeremiah said unto the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because ye have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father, and kept all his precepts, and done according to all that he hath commanded you, therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab shall not want a man to stand before me forever. God said, I'm going to preserve this line. Because they listened to their father. So that thing of uh, respect for authority comes out strong there. Submission to authority. Well, a few other things I jotted down here. Have your family in a church that establishes and nurtures them in the faith. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of easy to see another group over here. It seems a little bit more on fire. And so you jump into that. Um, you need to analyze the staying power. I mean, in, a, in an organization like ours, 
sometimes you can get a little frustrated. Things move so slow and you wish there were improvements and, and there's a lot of tradition and you see some other groups that seem to be moving faster and doing some things and and uh, if you live as long as I have, you see some of those things that flame out. So, anyway, a church that establishes and nurtures in the faith. I already talked about this. Your faith must extend beyond your church's statement of faith. And another thing, as far as par as far as fathers are concerned. Uh, you might have real strong convictions about something. And one thing is a human tendency is you can be really strong on something and you're kind of using that as a cover-up for another area where you're weak. And I'll tell you what, your children can pick up on that like everything. And uh, if, well, there's actually some extreme cases, but I, I think, what's that, what's that book that Christian Light put that, something about boots, boots, what, what's the name of that book? What? A uh, boot prints. Yeah, and it, it, it's about a family where the father was made, he was trying to look good to the church, but boy, was it ever terrible at home. Uh, that, that's, that, that's, that's awful when it's like that. Uh, you need to be genuine all the way through and, and be sensitive to that. If you're, real, if you're real strong on something, real strict about something, be careful that you're not using that to cover up another area in your life that's weak. Let the Lord speak to you. Needs to be sincere, genuine, real, no pretense or shallowness. The great commission I have jotted down here. Who said some 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 organization, some mission organization, I think, or something, I can't remember who said it. Break my heart with the things that break the heart of God. Was that the guy that started World Vision? I can't quite remember. Break my heart with the things that break the heart of God. A few other thoughts I had down here. Uh, conflict, conquest, what was I thinking? Um, bunker, overcomer, I got written down here. How do we approach life that we're, you know, we're just hunkered down, you know, kind of hold on till the Lord gets back? Or, um, or are we an overcomer? You know, what it says in Romans and all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. And the, the idea there, in the Greek is, is sort of we are hyper conquerors. We are preeminently victorious. And so am I out to expand the kingdom of God? Do I believe that we can conquer in the name of Christ? And I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I tell you, when we have that vision in life and we're moving ahead in that, uh, that's going to do something for our families. Well, i got to skip some stuff here. Um, oh, I do want to say this yet. Uh, Paul said, We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. And Jeremiah says, The prophet hath a dream, let him tell the dream, and he hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat? Now, that's a really good one for preachers. It says, you know, you got these dreams, you got these ideas, you can preach that. But the person has my word, let him preach my word. And so how about that with our families? You know, we just tell them on our own ideas or, or is it based on what God says?
So I had down here a summary. Heart, absorbed in Jesus Christ, a family focused on the kingdom of God. And then, and then I, uh, I had closed with Mike, Malachi 2, and I do want to do that here. Malachi 2. Think about transmitting the faith, thinking about our families, think about our responsibilities as fathers. Malachi 2, 13 to 15. And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, receiveth it with good will at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord has been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. The setting there, <clears throat> people are saying, oh, you know, we're doing all this sacrifice, and we're doing all these things, and God isn't hearing us. And Malachi says, there's a reason. Now, I'm going to read that yet in the New Living Translation. Here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and he doesn't accept them with pleasure. We're talking about transmitting the faith to future generations. We're talking about our responsibilities as fathers. You cry out, why has the Lord abandoned us? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made to each other on your wedding day when you were young. But you have been disloyal to her. Though she remained your faithful companion, the wife of your marriage vows, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are here, his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard yourself. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. That's powerful. Let's uh, kneel for prayer.